0: Love Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zalmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be talking with survivor Christine Altum about the brain, body, and emotional components of TBI. If you're enjoying this podcast series, be sure to check out my Patreon page to help support my advocacy work while receiving exclusive content for Patreon members only. Patreon.com slash Amy Zalmer. This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers located in Denver, Colorado. Doctors Shane Studman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years of combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms, including dizziness, vertigo, headaches, and more. For your free consultation, you can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. Hello, I am Amy Zelmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who don't know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Good Men Project, and I am author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. Additionally, I'm editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can get your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. I also invite you to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Christine Altum, and she is a TBI survivor, stay-at-home mom, author of the blog, Beacon of Hope, a resource for holistic healing from traumatic brain injury, and she's an avid cyclist with a background in exercise physiology. In 2012, a distracted driver hit her while she was riding her bike. She sustained numerous injuries, including a concussion. The concussion quickly became trigeminal neuralgia, and post-concussion and the symptoms forced her to abandon her Ph.D. program. After almost a year and a half of mismanagement, two surgeries on her head and countless different injections and medications, she was fortunate enough to find treatments that led to her recovery. Since then, she sustained three more TBIs, one of which was accompanied by two intracranial hemorrhages. In those cases, she was able to use what she had learned the first time around to fully heal in a short period of time. She believes she is now healthier than ever and hopes to share what she's learned with as many people as possible. So welcome to the podcast, Christine. I'm so happy to have you here today.
1: Yes, thank you very much for having me.
0: So, I guess you know the best place to start is at the beginning. So why don't you share with our listeners um, you know what ha- you, you know you were hit by a car while riding your bike, but I know there's so much more to it. So you know, why don't you share that story and um, you know what did that look like at
1: the time?: Yeah, so at the time, I was a PhD student in exercise physiology. I had my life planned out how I thought it was going to go. You know, I was going to finish my PhD. I really liked research. I was going to stay in research. I was, you know, going to do this, that, or the other. And I went out for a bike ride and distracted driver. Um, She was having a panic attack while she was driving home from work and basically T-boned me, my bike split in two. I hit the back of my head on the road Um, one thing that kept coming back to me at multiple times throughout my recovery was, you know, split seconds before the car hit me. I knew I couldn't get out of the way, but I just Mm -hmm. heard this voice saying, it's going to hurt, but you are going to be okay. And I really trusted that. And I I fought for that hard because for a year and a half, there was a ton of mismanagement and I Mm -hmm. had, symptoms that weren't getting better. Um, and I couldn't read. I, I couldn't read for three years after I got hit um, without pretty severe symptoms. Um, constant headache, dizziness, really bad fatigue, ringing in the ears, um, a number of other things. The biggest thing for me starting off was I have to fight for this because I'm not okay with this. this. This is not going to be my life forever. And I was not okay mm-hmm. with it. Um, but I trusted that voice that, okay, you're going to be okay. And to me, going to be okay meant okay, not you're going to deal with these symptoms forever. Um, <laughs> right. So one of the biggest things that I had to figure out was the emotional side of all of that. I had PTSD from that. um, And I also had to really go through a grieving process of, which I think a lot of people have to go through when they suffer a TBI, because regardless of, you know, what exactly happened, oftentimes the you that was you before your TBI is not the same you that is there after the TBI. And that doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. I'm personally happier with who I am and what I'm doing and all of that sort of thing now than I was prior to my first TBI. But I still lost the old me. I still had to grieve that, that loss. And it wasn't until I was doing EMDR for the PTSD side of things that that came into play. It was something that I never considered before. Like, I have to grieve. Like, I'm still here. What What am I grieving? And there really was a lot to grieve. You know, I I had to change a lot of who I was, even though it was, in many cases, for the better. It still wasn't my choice. It was taken away right. from me. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and I think right. a lot of people go through a lot of emotions with that, and and a lot of people really get stuck in an angry place. You know, they're, they're they get mm-hmm. they become very negative and angry,
1: um,
0: and you know, it. I get it. We have to kind of go through the whole cycle, right? But I think some people mm-hmm. get stuck in that a little bit longer than others, and you know, I know for me, I was. I was angry for probably a year and then it was like, oh, okay, well, this has happened. I now have to figure out how to move forward with this. And Mm -hmm. once you kind of come to that acceptance, um, I think that's when your recovery takes a whole new um, journey because you have to come to some sort of acceptance before you can begin to move forward. And, you know, moving forward is part of the recovery and so if you're stuck mm-hmm. in that place, it's really hard to move forward in your recovery. Would Would you agree?
1: Oh, I absolutely agree. And I know there's a big, and there's been a few books written on it um, to the, the brain body connection. And mm-hmm. one of the books is called the body keeps the score by vessel van der Kolk. Um, but it talks about how the emotional side of things gets locked in your body. And if you're not able to deal with those things, they basically block your body from being able to heal and recover mm-hmm. the way they would. Yeah, And I think there's a lot to getting to the point where you are reaching that acceptance point, but also forgiveness. And that can be forgiving yourself. It can be forgiving. I mean, it took, I kind of went through waves in the forgiveness of forgiving the woman that, um, that hit me and then kind of having a relapse of that a little bit and then going back. Um, but ultimately, I mean, if you think of it just from a selfish perspective, from the forgiveness side, forgiveness isn't necessarily just for the person that you're forgiving. It's also in a lot of cases, even more so for yourself, because, Mm -hmm. It's a weight off. And I know for me, the, you know, the amount of energy that was taken and wasted on being angry with the woman who hit me was, was a lot that inhibited my recovery until I realized this is, this is silly because I, that's something I can control. I couldn't control that she hit me, but I can control how much energy I'm spending on that thought process. And that was huge to me and that helped me recover because then there's not that blocker. That acceptance point is huge. The forgiveness point. And some people have to forgive God too. Um, They might think, you know, why did this happen? Why did he let this happen to me? Um, Or it could be even the forgiveness of people around them because that can be tough. People don't typically understand TBIs. It, it, It can't be seen. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure, everyone who's had a TBI has experienced something where they're talking to someone and it's, but you look fine or something like that, you know, Mm -hmm. and just that lack of understanding, those things can really fester and eat at you too. So figuring out how to let go of that emotional side is huge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's so important. And, I mean, when you're stuck in that negative state, it's just – it's so toxic to your entire body and your brain. Um, and, you know, I, I've been accused of being of, – of toxic positivity in the past, but I want to be really clear. <laughs> toxic positivity is telling someone, like, oh, you'll be fine. Things happen for a reason. Like, you know, that's toxic positivity trying to that's, tell yeah. somebody being positive and, and and sharing that with others is not toxic positivity and if you're you know if you're in a state where you find another person's positivity to be like annoying or toxic. Um, that should be a clue that you're in a pretty bad space and maybe you need to reflect on that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I, I encounter that frequently, um, you know, whether on the podcast or in my Facebook group. Um, and it's really hard. I feel so bad for people who can't see past and negativity and, you know, that whole forgiveness component. Cause there are a lot of people who are so pissed at the person that, that mm-hmm. did this to them. Um, some click, some cases it's a spouse, right. That they were in a car accident, yep. the spouse was driving or, you know, a friend like, you know, accidents happen. They, they happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, me, I slipped and fell. There was nobody else involved. Um, I mean, you could argue that the building was negligent—that that I should not have fallen in the first place. But I never really was like pissed at at that, um, okay. and I was—I never really was mad at myself or anything. I mean, I, it was just simply an accident. I was just pissed at the fact that I wasn't getting better and doctors, you know, weren't weren't yeah. helping me. Um, and, you know, that's what's led to my passion of wanting to help other people find resources sooner. And, you know, so in your case, um, were you conscious after you got hit or were you completely I was. Unconscious? You were I was conscious. conscious.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, I just have to say, I can't, you, you said that the driver was having a panic attack Before she hit you. I can't even imagine what that did to her panic attack. I have a little bit of um, empathy for that poor gal. Um, (laughs) She was in a tough, (laughs) she was having a rough day. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> it went from bad to worse pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So you were conscious and, um, oh, you know, tell us a little bit about what your experience was right afterwards. You know, were you taken to the hospital? What What were you told? What was um, your
1: like acute follow-up? What was that like? Um, it, it was honestly really poor. Um <laughs> Shock. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might be shocked. I'm sure you hear this all the time. Um, So, you know, right away I was scared. I was in the middle of the road and the the woman's car was also in the road and she wanted me to move and (laughs) I didn't think I should. (laughs) Right. But I honestly thought she was going to run me over if I didn't. So I thought, well, what, what's the better option here? I guess I'm going to move, but I had to hold my head up. Um, my neck was really floppy and my, I, I felt like I couldn't support the weight of my head. So I had to hold one hand on the back of my head and I couldn't feel my, one of my legs. So I had to use hmm. the other leg to push myself back. And I ended up just kind of on the grass on the side of the road. Um, thankfully, a few minutes later, Um, a group of seven cyclists rode by and stopped to see if I was okay. One of them happened to be an ER surgeon of all the people. Like, wow. Awesome. (laughs) So he stabilized my head and neck. That was helpful. And they kept asking, has anyone called an ambulance? And the woman who hit me um, was telling people that no one needed to call an ambulance, which wasn't, helpful, but when she was telling people that, um, it reminded me that the thing in my hand was a phone, and I could use that because oh. I was pretty out mm-hmm. of it. I was like, I can use this to call someone. So I called a friend. <laughs> Not helpful at all. Not 911, but, but yeah,
0: you know, you, right, you're, like, you're have heavily you concussed.
1: Them, you get a pass. <laughs> so eventually police were called ambulance was called um but i had called um my roommate and was like hey can you pick up my bike and maybe drive me to the hospital <laughs> she was like sure i can do that um but maybe an ambulance would be better um, right and so when the when the ambulance got there and the paramedics got there they convinced me to go into the the ambulance Um, but when I got to the hospital, no one saw me for six hours. I was wheeled in on the hospital in a stretcher. I was left in a hallway. I was not given any medication. I was not looked at. Um, I was left on a backboard there really without any help. Um, eventually a doctor came in, um, cleaned up my leg a little bit. And I was then, um, sent to a room. I was in the hospital for three days. Nobody picked up on the fact that I had a concussion while I was there. So they thought Mm -hmm. that I had um, some neck issues. Um, So they were concerned about potential fractures in C3 and C4 vertebrae. Ended up deciding, no, those are fine. Um, And I had some other injuries to my shoulder and my my hip and my leg. Um, There was a big bump on the back of my head. No one picked up on it. Um, and when they sat me up to, uh, have me try crutches, I immediately threw up, which should have been a sign of a concussion, but they yeah. thought, Oh, it's just the medicine that we gave her. So I was sent home by home. I mean my parents home cause I couldn't really handle things at that point. So I stayed with my parents for a few months. Um, It was two months after that that I was diagnosed with a concussion because it was like something's just off here. And I just kept being told, oh, you need time. Everything will be fine. You know, it's just the medicine you're on. It was like, this is weird. I mean, yes, the medicine's doing something, but this is different. So it was two months after that that I was actually diagnosed with a concussion. And from there it was, you know, that route of – you know, symptom management and pain medication, or injections, or surgeries to take nerves out. And they found out that I had a couple vertebrae in my neck that um, kind of—they moved when I turned my head. Um, so they were fine on a regular X-ray or anything like that, but they would. Be fine oh, the sure. Um, mm-hmm. So they were unstable. There was a couple. Yeah. So and that, that's honestly something that I've learned, too, and after my, you know, second, third, and fourth concussions is oftentimes if there's something that's lingering um, symptom-wise, it's, it's not necessarily just the brain. Sometimes there's something caught in the brain, but mm-hmm. there's, often, there's so often something else. And for me, it's been either cervical vertebrae um, like some C1 and C2 especially, because otherwise you don't get the, the fluid flow from your head to the yeah. rest of the body and it just catches everything, you know? So it's either been that or fractured facial bones or just, you know, bones that are just out of place that are mm-hmm. in the facial bones. So, And,
0: you know, I think people don't realize, I mean, I think at some level we understand it, but we don't think about it that your spine is an extension of your brain. Everything travels through your spinal cord to tell your body whatever it needs to tell it. Um, And so if you have any cervical or, you know, upper neck um, issues, you're, you know, it's it's only going to compound what's going on in your brain as well. So that's Mm -hmm. a really important point.
1: Yeah, and that's where I've gotten so much help. I mean, I have kind of, you know my regular way of, which is sad on some level, but regular way of dealing with concussion now. If I get one, and it includes craniosacral therapy for me because that helps mm-hmm. get that fluid flowing and everything through the, you know, gets the the cervical vertebrae back in. In a good in a good spot, and the fluid flowing through my head and to the rest of my body. Um, but I actually had to, um, I got what's called an atlas orthogonal adjustment. So I had mm-hmm. an adjustment done on my C1 vertebrae because stuff was still stuck. And my cranial sacral therapist was like, you no, know your C1 vertebrae is not holding its spot. And, you know, I know someone who does this adjustment and I mean, it felt like if you just got a little, if someone flicked you really lightly on the back of the, the neck, That's all I felt during this adjustment. They take all these images and they figure out where your C1 vertebrae is and where it needs to go, and they position your body on this table in a way that all they do is this, basically this little kind of needle thing comes down and goes, doop, kind of just taps it right at that spot. And it's really gentle, but it's just enough pressure in that position to knock it right back in line. And that's what did it for me. That was the final piece of the puzzle for me Mm -hmm. because that cervical vertebrae was an issue and everything else was helping it, but it wasn't staying. And once I did that, it was like, wow, this is, this is great. I can think again. I can, I'm not having those like little relapses or those, those harder days anymore because everything's in place. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, those upper cervical chiropractors, um, they don't get enough credit for what they do and how gentle they are. Um, And Mm -hmm. I know so many people that have had just incredible results um, from having that C1, C2 adjusted. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, isn't that just mind-blowing, though, that you were hit by a car on a bicycle and Mm -hmm. the hospital had no mention of concussion and I hear this yeah. all the time. I mean, it doesn't surprise me in the least, Um, mm. you know, whether it's through the ER or through the hospital, so many people, it's, it's bicycle car accidents, you know, it's just, it's overlooked and these people are sent home and they're still struggling and they don't know why. And mm-hmm. it's, it's so, so sad. And and sometimes they'll even be told that they're cleared of concussion. And it just makes me like want to scream because concussion symptoms can take days or weeks to really fully evolve or be understood by the person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you said, you just felt off, but you didn't really know what was going on. Um, yeah. You know, for me, at least I was told right away, oh, you have a pretty significant concussion. So, like, you know, I at least had something to help me understand. I still had no resources. You know, it took me almost three years mm-hmm. to find any resources. Um, and my neurologist, she was also only concerned about my neck pain. That's all she cared about was my neck. And I'm like, um, I can deal with my neck. Help me with my brain <laughs> mm-hmm. Um you know so it's so frustrating, so what advice do you have for people listening who you know, whether or not they were told right away, but they're here now, so they at least know now that they have a concussion. Um, you know what what advice do you have for someone listening who is still struggling?
1: Uh, I think one of the biggest things to me is there is always hope, but you have to often look in a non-traditional path. Like the the traditional neurologists, they are great at prescribing medicine and Band-Aids. And, you know, sometimes (laughs) those Band-Aids can be helpful for a short period of time. Only if they're for a short period of time, because sometimes the pain is just so bad and the issue is so bad that you're like, you know what, I need something right now until I can figure out what's actually going to treat the cause. And... Granted, I, I still think there might be better ways of going about it than lots of medications. I think they have yeah. another, you know, they come with lots of side effects and they, they cloud what's actually going on. But, but I can see how that could be helpful in, in short periods of time. But, but really, my advice would be to really think there's a brain component, there's a body component, and there's an emotional component of the TBI And how can I help those things? And if it's the case that someone's sitting here thinking, you know, I've never really addressed the emotional side or I've never really thought about that, that might be the sticking point. You know, same thing with the body part. You know, I've been having these issues for such a long time, but my doctors are just focusing on the brain. Maybe look a little differently. Maybe look at the you know, at the neck or the facial bones or something else. Um, but really never give up hope with it. There are so many avenues, even just in terms of looking at the hormonal imbalances and dietary supplements. I mean, you figure you hit your head and your brain needs stuff to recover. And so different supplements, for me, something that's been really helpful is, um low-level laser or Mm -hmm. something that's electrical. Um, I just tried an equoscope for my last concussion, which basically looks at, it's a small electrical current that look, it looks for abnormalities in the electrical system and basically allows your body to go back to homeostasis. It's like, that was super helpful for me. Um, But it's, I think the biggest thing is, you know, not to look tunnel visioned at this. Yes, you have a brain injury. And yes, the brain aspect of it is super important. And, you know, you could jump in a hyperbaric chamber or you could take supplements or you could do something with gut-brain, you know, connection to to help. But if the symptoms are still lingering, don't forget the emotional side and don't forget the rest of the body it's all connected. Mhm.
0: Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I've been doing a lot of on, online yoga classes um, and just incorporating the, the body and the breath and moving the body with your breath and then, you know, with meditation mm-hmm. and just taking the time to sit with yourself. Cause so many of us just want to go, go, go. And, you know, we want the quick answer And the reality is sometimes you have to slow down to get the answer. Right. Um, Yeah. And which is hard.
1: I mean, it is when you're dealing with a lot of issues and you're like, I don't want (laughs) that.
0: Yep. Yeah. So yeah. You know, just, I guess, you know, just be willing to slow down a little and really, you, you know, the whole looking outside the traditional healthcare system is a huge key. You know, like I said, it took me three years to figure that out and it shouldn't take that long. Like I, it just blows my mind that no one in the traditional system is willing to tell you Mm -hmm. what's outside the traditional system. Um, And that's kind of like finding the pot of gold.
1: Yeah. That's what got me into this too and starting my blog yeah. was it frustrated. It, it didn't take me quite it, three years. It took me a little more than a year and a half to find treatment that, you know, started working. But when I did, it was my chiropractor had told me about a colleague of his who specializes in concussion stuff. And he uses um, hyperbaric chamber and cold laser primarily. And I didn't know anything about those things. I hadn't heard anything about them at that point. So I went and asked my neurologist. And mm-hmm. I said, hey, like, what, what are your thoughts on this? Because at this point, you've had me go through two surgeries. I've had, I don't know how many injections in my head. I don't know how many medicines. But it's not helping. You, you tell me, oh, you're doing great. And I come in here and I'm thinking, what are you talking about? I, this is nothing, (laughs) nothing here is great, Um, and I said, what do you think about hyperbaric chamber, and he said, it would be a waste of time, and I said, okay, you know what, this hasn't helped at all, I'm willing to waste my time, and I went anyway, and I flew out to see this doctor, and I stayed for two weeks, and I got 22 um, hyperbaric chamber sessions and I came back and I had another appointment with a neurologist. And I'll tell you, I was a completely different person. I was, I mm-hmm. mean, I, my dad called the second day of my treatment and I said, hi. And he said, I have my daughter back. And I was like, what are you talking about? I just said, hi. And he was like, no, your, your voice, I can tell. Like, mm-hmm. and I wasn't back a hundred percent at that point, but I was, I was much closer at that point, but I went back to the neurologist and this doctor had done um, on a machine called a VSR sport. He did a full concussion panel with all of these, um, this objective testing before and after those 22 sessions. And I came back with evidence. I had a concussion when I started and I did not have a concussion. I still had some, some symptoms that we had to work out, but my, the brain itself was okay at that point. And I was, I was in a much better place. And I came back with those results and I showed the, the PA who was seeing me that day. And he didn't know what to say. And I was like, look, I'm going to be really honest with you. I know you guys are trying really hard, but if you guys are telling people that it's a waste of time to do this stuff, I don't feel like that's that goes with the whole first to do no harm thing. Yeah. I I think yep. that you need to to say something. I agree. And I got I got a note 2 weeks later that that PA resigned from his spot and went back to orthopedics. And I I have thought multiple times like I I wonder if what I told him made a difference because he his response after I told him that was how can I find this doctor? How? What can I learn from him? And it was like, whoa, okay. Which, you know, kudos to him for having that response. But it's shocking to me that, you know, this stuff is out there. But yeah. not only are they not necessarily willing to tell you, and, and in many cases they don't know. They're not familiar with it. They don't have no, the time to right. look into it, mm-hmm. which is kind of sad in itself because people are experiencing so many good things with that. Um, but it's sad that in many cases they're saying, no, it's a waste of time on these things that don't even have in- side effects. It's like, there's no harm in trying it. What's the worst that's going to happen? It doesn't work. And then you're in the same spot, which really isn't any worse. <laughs> At least you tried. Mm-hmm. But that's I know.
0: I know so many um, people who have talked to their neurologist about trying functional neurology and they are basically deterred. They're told, no, that's, that's junk science. Um, and, mm. you know, if they knew anything about it, they'd know that functional neurology has existed for a very long time. Um, it, it existed mm. before we had MRI and CT technology, um, you know, and so it's just very unfortunate that doctors, like you said, I, they do harm by trying to tell patients not to seek out other options. Like, why would you? Like, why would you not want your patient to go try something? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really frustrating. Um, but Christine, thank you so much for being here today. This has been a wonderful conversation. And if people are interested in reading your blog, I do have the link in the show notes. It's Beacon of Hope. TBI.com and they can click right through in the show notes on that link if they're interested. Um, But thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story with our listeners.
1: Thank you so much for having me and thank you for continuing to do all of the great work you're doing and getting the word out there and helping so many people with with all of their TBI needs. Mm,
0: Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: And thank you,
0: everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And just a reminder, you can find all previous podcast episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes, or directly at facesoftbi.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And please join me in Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook. And just another big thank you to our sponsor, Integrated Brain Centers. Get your free consultation online at integratedbraincenters.com. Thank you all for listening, and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode.